So welcome everybody to the show. Today's guest is Jenny Harlan Khan. I met Jenny three years ago now in Barcelona, Spain at the first ever Mindvalley University where she was running the kids program with some other volunteer parents that wanted to provide great experiences for their children that were coming to this wildly experimental and super ambitious program. And in that time when I met Jenny, she mentioned, I had never traveled out of the U.S. before, that she was living in Chamonix, France, which I knew was one of the adventure capitals of the world. One of those places where you show up and there's parachutes everywhere, mountain bikers, mountaineers, everyone is doing all sorts of awesome outdoor whitewater rafting and everything. So I really had it in my mind that sometime in my life I would go. And as it turns out, Jenny was just this awesome person that I got to meet throughout that month in Barcelona. And I was like, hey, like maybe I'll come up to Chamonix. And I know Eric Strauss, this friend of mine, wants to come as well. And Jenny was like, well, wouldn't you know, myself and my husband, Babs, who is an awesome person I'm sure we're going to talk about, are going to be gone, but our kids are going to be hanging out in Chamonix. So what if you guys just stayed at our house and watched the kids for like three days? And my first reaction was like, what? My second reaction was I was actually... Um, like a coach for a motivational speaker who worked with youth when I was 18 and 19 years old and maybe a little bit of 17 as well. So I got really excited about spending some time with the children of some awesome adults that I got to meet. And I got to see Zach and Lita, your children, a little bit throughout Barcelona. So I went to Chamonix. Everything was amazing. I got to to really bond with the kids and, and it was really fun hanging out with them and Eric. And then before I knew it, I was traveling all over the globe to hang out with you guys. And we've just kept in touch ever since. I ended up going to Jenny's mastermind, which was called Exponential, which was an incredible experience. Also in Chamonix, in the mountains, where a bunch of super, super high performing people came in, talked about their lives, worked through business things with masterminding, but also worked through a lot of personal stuff that these very high achievers, high performers get into. And it's funny enough that we all had very similar experiences in life. And it was just an incredibly formative moment in my traveling career, but also introducing me to so many great people where I really got to bond with people like John Davey, who's gonna be on the show at some point, because he is incredible. And it helped me get to know you guys and to develop probably this lifelong bond that will always get to hang out in different parts of the world and introduced me to the wonderful work that you do that I would like to talk about today. But we're not gonna get into that quite yet because something that is so inseparable from you and my mind is your connection to your children. And having recently spent so much time with these uh, three little ones that I've been traveling with for about 15 months, this idea of being a parent, this idea of having children around has really transformed me. And I would say before having them around, I had that eternal question that young people have, which is, should I ever have kids? It feels like it takes so much work. You have so little time. What about my own goals and dreams and ambitions and desires and fun stuff that I do? And my perspective has been entirely changed, and I won't share that yet because I want to ask you a question that I think a lot of maybe millennials, some Gen Z, maybe even some older people are still wondering, which is why should anyone or should anyone have kids? <laughs> That's a big question, um, and I love it. So 
I get. I guess the word in that question should is is. No one should have kids. I'd say that no one should have kids. However, um, and I'm going to talk from experience here, obviously, as as my own journey, but also you know what I've what I see for others and and you know people I coach with kids as well. And for me, it has been the most expansive personal growth journey, not only just in my own growth, but also has expanded my world beyond what I even thought was possible. Now, what I will say, that's been an absolute conscious choice as well. Probably not to start with, you, you know, you kind of, you know, I always knew that I, I would someday have kids and I, I, you know, I went to university and then I, I traveled for four years. So I, I definitely got, um, you know, I literally backpacked for four years. So I got a lot of that out of my system. And then I had started my um, professional life in London. And then there was the natural progression. You know, I was lucky. I'd, I actually met Babs, can you believe this, when I was 14. <laughs> Oh, I had yeah. no idea. Are you from like the same little well, town? Well, he came to my school. Um, he was, yeah, anyway, but that's a story. We won't get into that. But he, he, I, I knew him when I was 14 and there was, an, there was actually a connection there, which was interesting. And then um, met, re-met many, many years later when I was 25 or something. And so I was very fortunate in that I met my soulmate, whatever you want to call it, um, early on. And, and so I've had this relatively smooth, kind of expansive 20s where I did so much and I met my man and we then got married and then the natural progression was to have kids. And actually, after Lita was born, that's when I had a bit of a meltdown, like a probably my first meltdown. Um, when she was about 18 months old, um, which, ba which was basically playing out the fears that you just spoke about in terms of should I have kids? Because as much as I loved, mm. you know, I loved being a, a mother, there was this part of me that was going, I've got no idea who I am now. Like, I felt like my identity had gone. I felt like what, there was resentment with Babs, it was, you know, from the female perspective, it was like, oh, you, you, it's okay, you can go and live your life and do what you're doing still. And I'm kind of sitting here changing nappies and, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, so that could have gone one or two ways. Now, for many people, that feeling lasts for a very long time as parents, but for me, and I have to give Babs a lot of kudos for this. What happened is I, I remember um, we were, I mean, can't complain. We were in Australia, we were bush camping um, in the wilds and it was, I mean, it was an incredible adventure. And yet I was in this real funk and Babs had gone off fishing and he came back that night and he could tell I was in a kind of grump. <laughs> And he said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, nothing. And he said, 
just a little Pandora's yeah, box. Yeah, honestly. Let me just and pop I, that. I said, so. <laughs> so, so brave. He said, yeah, there is. I was like, I'm fine. And he went, fine, Jen? That's an interesting word. <laughs> I was like, well, if you must know. <laughs> and then it just went, poof. And I kind of went on this rant. Like, it's all right for you, you know, you're just fishing all day. I'm looking after two toddlers on the beach and blah, 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 like turned into the woman that I always said that I wouldn't turn into. <laughs> um, and I thought he was going to put his arm around me and say, babe, I'm sorry, you chill out. I'll take the kids tomorrow. You just go and do whatever. And he didn't. <laughs> now you know about <laughs> and he turned and looked me straight in the eye and he said Jen stopping such a bloody martyr and choose to do something and at that point I picked up the fish that he'd caught and just went and just chucked it <laughs> and did this dramatic and I don't do dramatic like you know I, I mean I'm pretty chilled and it's probably like the one time in my life that I've really blown up, uh, stormed off down the beach and there was this storm happening and, um, and as I was watching, sort of, I suddenly became aware of nature just doing its thing. I was like, wow, like nature has this purpose and it's natural and I'm not feeling that at all for myself and he's absolutely right. I've got to shift my perspective on this and choose. Anyway, so I kind of ran back to the tent having had this epiphany <laughs> and he was in the tent snoring. I'm like, dude, I've just <laughs> had this <laughs> incredible insight. And then the next insight dropped in, which was, he can't do this for me. You know, the one person that, that would do anything for me in the world, he cannot do this for me. Like, I've got to take responsibility for myself as a, as a mother, as a, as a individual. And from there, what happened was this, this reignited mission to really discover, you know, what was next for me. And it, it, it led to the path of coaching. You know, I got some coaching and then... And then I, I just things started happening really quickly for me and people around me were saying, what's going on? I want a bit of that. And people just naturally started asking me to work with them. Like what kind of things well, were I happening? Just, I started really small. I started really small. In fact, I did this program, which is hilarious because I don't really do goal setting or anything now, but it was Dax Moy. I don't know if you know Dax Moy. He's English, English guy. He's been at A-Fest actually. Um, and he had this program called Magic 100. And it was basically 100 things you want to do in 100 days. And it was a Kickstarter. Because as a parent, you can really get into that place of, um, I don't have time. I don't have time to do anything. Which is absolute bullshit, actually. We just don't choose it. We don't choose it. And, and the insight that I had was like, I am not choosing life right now. I get to have both. You know, just because I have kids, it doesn't mean I don't have to have a life. And so, you know, one of the things, I remember 
remember one of the things I I can't believe I'm admitting this on air was that I'd never really learnt to swim properly. You know, I could sort of go like this, but I wanted to be able to to freestyle properly. So I was like, right, I'm going to learn to be able to do a straight kilometre within a hundred days. And and so I signed up for this swimming course, <laughs> and I turned up. And the point about it was, it was a weekend course, which meant I had to leave the kids and get Babs to sort it all out. Um, and of course, when I told him, he went, yeah, sure, of course. And that's one of the things we have in our heads, is like, well, I can't because I've got to do this. It's like, well, do you ask for help? I wasn't. You know, I was in this in martyr mode. And so I went to this swimming course and... Yeah, just assuming that everyone would say yeah, or no. Or just be too difficult, or they wouldn't be able to do it right, or whatever, you know. Or, yeah. And got to this swim course, and it turns out it's for triathlete training. <laughs> and so there was all these triathletes and me. <laughs> So that in itself... Everyone's oh, super yeah. hardcore. It was hilarious. And they video you and then play it back in the classroom. And the, the instructor said, Jen, I thought I'd seen everything until this. <laughs> but again, it oh. was such growth. And the reason I'm telling you these stories is because that was the beginning of me... Doing stuff for myself and, and building that muscle of throw yourself in, Jen, throw yourself in. And these might seem like little things, but they accelerated very quickly. And because then I, the next thing I knew, I was getting on a plane to go and train with Bob Proctor. You know, it was like 20 grand, which we didn't have. And, you know, going off for 10 days or so. So I went from that little weekend to investing myself, you know, first investment I'd ever made in that respect, flying halfway around the world and training with one of the best in that realm, like one of the godfathers of personal development. And it, it basically happened from there. And what I realized but the more I did that and the more I got into action around that, the more expansive my world became. You know, it was the equivalent of a first A-fest, I guess. You know, that came down the line, mm. but it was, it, was, it was similar. I suddenly had global connections. Um, I was sort of singled out within this. There was 80 of us, and I was singled out as being one to watch. I'd never done this stuff before. You know, and this this sort of came. This all happened within four months of throwing a fish at Babs. <laughs> so um, it was very, very, was very fast. fast. So you're saying in the hundred days that you said you wanted to learn to swim, in that same hundred days you went to the Bob Proctor thing. Yeah, it was a, it was a month after that. Yeah. Wow. So you pedal to the metal. Yeah, I made a decision. I was like, take control, Jen. Like choose what he said to me that don't be a martyr, choose to do something, hit me such deep in my core. And it triggered it. all of this stuff. And what I found then 
if you sort of fast forward, I became, I just made decisions from this place. And the next thing I know that, you know, we're a few like, you know, I, I, and I'm not saying it was easy creating my coaching practice. It's, it's actually never been that easy. Um, but I remember, I remember we went off on a six week camping trip with the kids. As you backtrack a little bit, what, what happened after the Proctor thing, um, Babs's business folded in London. It was a marketing agency, a big client defaulted. And he said, let's go to Australia for a couple of months. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was still in the mindset, no time, no money, and kids. And I'm lucky, I'm, I'm married to him. <laughs> and he said, Jen, trust me, let's just go. And in the end, I, we did, and perhaps his brother's here, it's where I am right now. Um, and it, it started a thing whereby I realized that the world didn't end. You know, it, like you make a decision, you step into it, and the world sort of conspires to support that. It really did when it's coming from a, like mm. a real decree, this is what we're doing. And it was a muscle that we've built over, well, certainly for me, it's been a muscle that's been built, you know, year on year. And so for the next few years while the kids were, were young, every year we were like, okay, well, let's take six to eight weeks out. And then they started school and they were like, let's still do that. And everyone around us was saying, mm. but what about school? I'm like, they're four, they're five, they're six, you know. And, and so it became a no-brainer for us. It just became part of who we were to go on experiences and adventures with the kids because they got and so I, much and out of it. And I want to bring something up too. To, to back up and say that you, like, Bab said that to you, right? Like, don't be a martyr, do something about it. For you to take that and, you know, first get upset, throw the fish at yeah. his face, and then to go off, but then for you to actually grow from that, I, I don't want to say, like, it's a rare thing that someone could take something like that and grow from it. But what do you think, and I'll start with saying, what do you think is the, the reason that you are able to do that in such a healthy way, to respond to that in such a healthy way? It's um, a really good question. I've never really thought about it. I guess... I don't know. I mean, I've always, despite never, I mean, I'd done Landmark, I guess, so I'd, I'd had an opening, I'd, I had a bit of a kind of experience of, you know, opening up to, to this kind of work. So I guess my consciousness was a little bit open then. Um, and I, th I think one of the main things is the deep respect I have for Babs and our relationship. And so when he says something like that, I know it's not coming from a place of anything other than love. 
and the willingness for him to speak that truth for me, I was being called to step up and hear it. And I think that's testament to, to the kind of relationship that we have. Like if someone else had said that to me, but perhaps, like if that's, I, I got to listen when he says something like that. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, we speak truth to each other. Um, and we don't argue, we don't, we just, we just don't, we just communicate really well. And therefore, when he said something so, there was no, there was no anger in it. It was the tone with which he said it. Jen, stop being such a bloody martyr. Choose to do something. It's like, whoa. Love so it. I think it's the respect of, with our relationship and also, I guess, my own self-awareness. I have so many questions to dig into about that. What do you, I have, I have two questions you can answer, answer whichever one you think is more, I guess, calling to you or more valuable yeah. in, your, in your first response. The question, first question is, how did you to cultivate that level of respect for each other? Um, was it something that you had right at 14? Like you just had like this deep knowing of like, I trust this person, they trust me. Or was there a <laughs> series of things that, that caused you to gain that level of respect and trust for each other? And then the second question, I know that's an exciting one. And the second question is, are there practices that you two do today that continually graduate that level of trust and respect for each other? And I'm I'm presuming that you might want to answer those sequentially. Yeah, and they roll into into one, actually. Um, So I think the way in which our relationship started, I mean, yes, we kind of knew, he was a couple of years older at me in school, we'd, we'd clocked each other. There was definitely something going, sort of whatever you want to call it, at 14, I mean, hell. <laughs> and then we'd sort of had a yeah, brief yeah. encounter when, um, I think when I was 17. And then we went off and did our, th- our thing. Like, at 17, we literally came together, knew that it was a, you know, something kind of had to happen because it would, it was there but also both of us knew that and that's done kind of me going his way he's him going his way and you know what happened after that like I said I went to university and then as did he I still had a couple of years of school and then we both traveled so we both kind of had that and when I met him the second time I was still in my traveling period. I'd come home, my mum was remarrying, so I came home for the wedding. And I just bumped into him in my local pub where I'd seen him last. And it was, again, it was just this immediate thing. And I was home for like four or five months. And we just went, and at the same time I said, and I'm not done. I'm leaving in November. And he said, okay. Was that tough for you? It, it, yes, but it was, it, I knew that I had to go. 
like I was not done. I wanted to go back to New Zealand, do a ski season there. And like, I, I knew that I would resent him if I didn't go and do my thing. And he, so this is where the respect piece comes in. He didn't try to convince me otherwise. He said, yeah, I understand. And then we just had an agreement that we would continue communicating and see how, how it went. So six, so I went for a year. Six months into that year, I was in Thailand. I was like, I need to come home and check if this is for real. Because at that point, Skip, you're not even going to believe this. There was no email. <laughs> we were like writing <laughs> yep. letters, yep. picking them up at the post office. Internationally. Oh, yeah. I was in Nepal and Thailand and Vietnam and we're like wow. writing letters. How did you how did you do all that travel? Uh, was it money you had saved up? Was it credit? Was it family? No, no, no. I, I, so post uni, I, I worked, well, I went to France first and did like a au pairing and then a ski season. And then I, I worked for like a solid eight months and saved everything. And then I worked my way around the world. I was just waitressing and bar work and stuff. But so I came home to see him for three weeks to really decide, like, because I kind of wanted to live in New Zealand. So I had to make a choice. So I came home for that three weeks. What part of New Zealand? Well, I was, I was hanging out in Queenstown, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and um, I, so I came home for those three weeks. And again, it was just like, poof. and then we, we had an agreement. I would go finish do another six months and I'd come back to London and and that was how it started and the fact that we both firstly I didn't give up everything for him in a way you know I still went and did my thing he respected that I respected the fact that he let me go and I'm in wrong words but mm. um you know, and then we were very honest about what was going on for each other during that year. And then when I came back, you know, we'd, we'd both agreed that was the right thing to do. So I think it was just built on independence, respect, a lot of long distance communication. And that created a really strong foundation. You know, and we both hold family as a highest value and I think that played a big part and then what do you do even today between each other that continuous is there anything intentional that you do that builds that respect and trust with each other yeah se separately and together so you know firstly we we both continually invest in our own growth um, and we talk all the time <laughs> like we talk a what lot. What is what is investing in your growth look like uh, for you yeah. and then for him like what does that look like? Um, so you know whether that is investing in my you know business growth and, and co my professional coaching skills and all that kind of stuff um, 
And then just sort of personal development work, um, you know, and doing something at the moment which is all around, which is something that Babs has just done, but with someone else. But it's more kind of the archetype work, working through, um, you know, shadow work triggers that come up, you know, it, it could be anything like, I'll, and we live in Bali, right? So there's stuff going on all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty discerning mm. now about what I do. It's not, I don't jump into one thing and another thing and another thing. Um, so for example, to give you an example, I, I did Rich Litvin's 4PC Mastermind, which is around coaching, but actually it's more, it was more around self-leadership. And then, for example, Babs has just done a, a three-month deep kind of men's work, a men's group, um, which was full-on, <laughs> was full-on. And, and, you know, while he was doing that, I was very much holding the space for him to go through whatever he was going through because it was pretty emotional work. You know, so we support each other when we choose to do things. We've never actually done anything together when it comes to growth work, but... You know, he's been amazing because I, I, I guess because I'm in the industry, I, I get to know what's going on and who's doing what. If I ever say, hey, I think this would be a really good fit for you, he's like, okay, tell me, I'll do it. You know, he doesn't, he, he trusts me and my judgment as to what, what would, you know, potentially be a, a good fit. And then, we, when it comes to us, sort of on the family couple side, we create, I'm going to use the word vision, but we don't sit there and create vision visions, but we get very clear on what's important to us. So we're super clear on our values. And so every decision we make as a family is aligned to that. So for us, it's about freedom of time, geography, um, adventure, family, and health. Anything that is not aligned with that, we don't do. Anything that is, it's just such a yes. And, and then the one thing that we have, the question that we have, we always ask is, what would have us all thrive? And that's sort of our north, north star. So often, you know, a couple, I think um, probably about three weeks ago, you know, we just we were just sitting having a coffee, and we were like, okay, so let's, you know, we hadn't done it for a while. It, it's like, well, like where are we feeling where there's areas for growth right now? And then we just talk about it. Hmm. And then we'll make decisions together that maybe don't make sense logistically or rationally. But if it's aligned and we both get excited about it, we just go, okay, let's go. <laughs> so, and that's really what led us to Chamonix in Bali, I guess. So, you know, a prime example was We'd been sort of camping in, in France for six weeks, we were in Italy, we drove around, kids were young. 
and we got to Annecy and I was watching, just standing in front of these mountains and I was like, oh, and the energy and, and the vibrancy and the, just everything about it, I was feeling so alive and all these fit people around, you like swimming the lake and running and cycling and climbing and, and I just said out loud, I was like, oh my God, I could live here. And Babs just went, okay, let's do it. And we went to Chamonix the <laughs> next like day, checked it out. We went wow. up, one of the, the gondolas looked down and I went, okay. And then we went back home a week later. We told the school that kids were leaving and um, pack, packed up house. Wow. So, you know, I think we, we're both willing to listen to what's in here and, and go with, you know, the, the consideration of all of us. Um, mm. And I really think to accentuate that point that you say you both grow individually yeah. often and you support each other, it sounds like encourage each other and it also sounds like sometimes challenge, challenge each other, each other yeah. to grow and the challenge comes from a loving place where it's like, it's not like a, an ultimatum of if you don't no. Or grow, you need it. <laughs> I'll leave. It's like a... Yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing to mention there is, you know, often what comes with that is quite a big financial investment. And most of the time we don't, we don't have that lying around. And it's the, you know, he really trusted you know, when I talked about that first investment with, with Proctor, I wasn't really earning money because I just had the kids. And we didn't know where we were going to get it from. And yet he was unwavering saying, we'll work it out. And it's been like that mm. ever since. Ever since. Yeah. Like there's never this, oh, well, so, we can't really afford that. Or we can't. It's like, no. What do we truly want? What do we desire? And what do we need to create to have that happen? And I guess that's the place that we come from. Mm. And sometimes that's stressful. And if, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've, I've actually been around for a couple of those, those moments where you guys have had some huge life changes and you've just, I don't even know, like if, if we read off your guys' resume of where you've lived, where you've traveled, the projects you've taken on, it's kind of insane when you say it all back to back, you know? Yeah. So fast forward me, you did the Bob Proctor thing. Now that's probably 12 years ago or yeah. so, right? What, what do you do with your time now? Um, why did you run Exponential? Like, who are you in the world? Yeah, and I guess it's been a progression as well. And I think that's important to, I just think it's an important part of this for people to realize that, you know, Everything, we're always evolving, right? You don't, or, or some people go from boom to boom. For me, it was definitely, you know, when I first started working with people, it was with other mums who were like, I even read a book, the book on Amazon. How do you, it's called I'm Back. <laughs> How do you get your, I can't even remember, identity, oh, I can't even remember what it's called. That's hilarious you know, when your kids go to school, because that's what it's I like. How do you get your, your kick ass yeah, back? Basically. Yeah. Um, but as I grew and as I evolved, um, 
it was, I, I, I think for quite a while in the coaching world, the circles that I were in were very much about, and I hated it, but it was about be inspiring so other people would want to work with you and have an inspiring personal brand and blah, blah, blah. And look, I had the inspiring life, right? We, we were living it, you know, as a life coach or whatever. Ugh. <laughs> but as a, you know, as a coach that deals with personal <laughs> stuff, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? Um, it was okay. I, at least I walked the talk, right? So there was definitely something there. But I didn't want to be the inspiration. I knew that I wanted to work with people who inspired the absolute pants off me that had me grow, that I had to grow to step in to coach them. Um, and I didn't know how to do that for a long time. Like imposter syndrome, like everything was, was going on. And until, it's, until one day, once again, I just made a decision of like, no, because I nearly gave it all up because I was just, it just felt out of alignment. I was kind of working with whoever I could work with, <laughs> whoever would have me. Um, and in the end, I was like, no, I'm done with this. Like, I, I really wanted to, I knew there was so much more. Um, and I'd always had a fascination with leaders. Like, I knew I wasn't ever going to be a sort of leader in the traditional sense of the word. I was never going to be the one, you know, I'm not a visionary, I'm not someone that has any desire to run a big company or several companies. It's just not who I am. But what I started to realize when I backtracked is that when I came back to London in my 20s, early 30s, I was always the right-hand person to a visionary or, you know, an entrepreneur. Whether, and I worked for several businesses. My first one was an economics consultancy and I was taken on, I did economics, but I was taken on, I don't know why, and I would go to all the meetings with the guy that headed it up. The second one was, um, it was in the dot-com era, and I was taken on as investor relations. It's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, it was like this classic beanbag, Soho, Square in London, um, 60 employees, none of us really doing anything. Uh, and I would go to all the investor meetings with the CEO. And then the next one was a sort of boutique um, headhunting company that worked with you know the McKinsey's and all that kind of stuff, and I would always go with her to all the meetings. And then the next one, I worked with a, a visionary that set up a charity. And to clarify, what would you do <laughs> in these meetings? Nothing. What, were, you, were you like emotionally stabilizing well, this is what I get the visionary now. that was this there? This is what I get now. I didn't understand okay. it. I didn't know why I was there. But they would always ask me to go with them. And then after the meeting, would go for a coffee or something, and then they would just talk about it. And so I felt like a complete imposter the entire time I was doing any of these things because there was nothing practical, tangible that I was really doing. And then the last thing I did, I was, it was a, 
which was a lot of fun. It was a transformational, uh, it was a charity using sport as a tool for transformation, using football, soccer. Um, and again, I was the right-hand person to the guy that set it up. And when I look back now, it's what I do. It, it like, and it's very intangible, but I hold this space, I guess, energetically, where they feel, I don't even know what the word is, safe, I, I, I don't know, that there's, it's a space for them to really step into what they're doing. It's almost like mm. this safety net behind them. I don't even know. It's and, but it's what and I you do know, now. Though. <laughs> like I've been to to your you know exponential. I've been to the program, one of your programs, right? And I remember when when we went around the room for the first time, and I think there were twelve of us, maybe something like that. About about twelve of us, uh, and I was there filming and everything, and also sitting in on the sessions. It was such an awesome experience right after Barcelona. And having even been there when you did what you're describing right now, even it's hard for me to put it into words as well, but it was crazy to see the level of competence, achievement, and just the level of IQ that was in that room unload their experiences their emotions and also their ideas in such an open way I, I had almost never seen that in a group before and so I guess you know you need a certain level of let's call it I don't know presence or power or acceptance or maybe nurturing is a big word I would put on your forehead with that whole thing that allowed these people to really share their inner thoughts and a lot of these high achievers can be so busy or they can be so powerful that they don't get a lot of time to just let their own mind ricochet off of something that can allow that ricochet to happen which is sort of what i saw you doing through uh that experience of it and and i i guess that's what i would say it is that that you do for people and it's funny because i know 85 percent of the people that watch this show and 95 percent of my friends are looking for someone like you <laughs> because uh, you know when you sit around in circles of entrepreneurs and the creatives that i hang out with everyone's like i really just need like a steady stable operator type of person around to like bounce all the insanity off of that can hold that insanity and then help me weed out what's going. I say this all the time yeah. to myself, right? And so I see like already how many people are probably going to be like, mm. you know, I would love to see what Jenny does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess the place that I'm coming from with it, I mean, there's partly is an energetic thing. Firstly, I'm like totally non-judged. You can tell me anything and I wouldn't, I mean, there's no judgment. Um, but Secondly, I'm not, I'm not, when I'm in that space, I'm not actually really listening to anyone's story. I, I kind of really not that interested. <laughs> and that might sound strange. Um, but what I'm doing is, is, is energetically, I guess, creating a connection with someone 
and I'm holding them and seeing them before the story, before the whatever's going on for them. I, I'm seeing them in their purest form, which is pure potential. And also the life intelligence that is in them. Therefore, I know that whatever is going on for them, firstly, they're okay. You know, people can be in complete crises and I'll be like, yeah, you're okay. And they're like, oh, <laughs> I, just, I just needed it. <laughs> because I know they're okay because I know who they truly are. In that, and when I say that, what I mean is we have everything within us to thrive. It's who we are. We have all the resilience. We have the, you know, our innate wisdom. We have all the answers. We have everything. So I'm holding them in that space and I'm speaking to that part of them. And I think that's quite different from quite a lot of coaching because oftentimes with coaching, coaches are listening to the story, like what are their beliefs, what's holding them back? And, and then you're kind of in the story. Whereas I'm sort of parking that. And, and I think people feel that. So they're able to sort of drop into this the first thing that happens is they drop into a calmer space. It can happen really mm -hmm. quickly. And when the thinking settles, you're left with clarity because that's our natural state. And so really all I'm doing is facilitating a spa space for their clarity and for their own wisdom. I don't know the answer. I don't know what you need. No idea. But you do. And it's not really through clever questions it's just an, an just energetically bringing people back into the grounding people actually because a lot of high achievers are just like they're just spinning with ideas and busyness and everything else and so really it's it's a chance for people just to and all I'm interested in actually what what what's the truth here like, how do you discern your truth with all the noise? Mm. Are there any habits that you encourage your clients to do to help them stay in that space in between sessions? Actually, no. <laughs> because, mm. and this could be a little controversial here, um, what we talk about more is really understanding how thought and the mind works. And it's a, it's a sort of embodied understanding of that. So naturally, you know, we all think, right? We've all got thoughts, loads of them. <laughs> um, but they, left alone, they actually pass. So if you think about a cloud, right, with a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, thick clouds, thunderstorms, you know, it looks really dense, it looks really real, and this is what's gonna, you know, this is, this is what you're experiencing. But you don't actually have to do anything for those clouds to pass. The nature of clouds is that they move on. The nature of thought, mm. if you realize it's just thought, <laughs> it moves on. Right, and so 
what we talk about quite a lot is is you know th there's a lot more to it but you know is this fundamental deeper understanding of, of how the mind works rather than trying because high achievers they're busy to give them a whole bunch of practices and habits and things that they now have to do in their morning routine and everything else it's like it's actually the last thing they want to do and yet when they understand this this concept that I share with people there's this feeling of relief and they start to take life a lot less seriously and so probably the, the, the most common thing I would say to people is yeah put it down just get out in nature. Not even sit and meditate for hours. It's almost like you're trying to do something to settle your thoughts. Whereas if you understand that it's a natural, it's natural. The pressure that gets taken off when you really get that. And it's, it, it, it sounds too simple. It sounds too simple, but it's... You know, when people really get this, their entire experience of life changes. The clarity they get is, to yeah, off the charts. I think as a reflection of what you're saying, I, if, from what I'm taking from it, to, to ask you if this is, I think what you're saying is like, these high performers, right? These entrepreneurs, these visionaries, they tend to run very quickly. They tend to burn out very quickly. They tend to have a lot of things on their plate. And what you're saying is instead of doing anything, maybe try not doing something. Yeah, it's, it's all around, it's all subtractive. So if you work with me, it's subtractive. This, this, this isn't yeah. the, the... So should I not do something for 60 minutes or 90 minutes? Yeah, well, listen, <laughs> I mean, we just took off last week, right? Because I realized we were in this kind of trying to make things happen. And the thing with high performers, they're so flipping intelligent that they do make shit happen. They're really good at it. But they become incredibly reliant on their intellectual mind and become the one that has to do that. Whereas behind the intellectual mind is the genius. And so it's, it's about how do we tap into that genius? And the genius lives in the space. And so, for example, last week I could feel that we'd got into this, this place of trying to, like, there's a lot of stuff that we're trying to work out at the moment. And so we'd, we've just took off for a week to a remote beach with nothing, no Wi-Fi, no electricity, no nothing, and just sat. And read. I, I get that not everyone can do that, and they can. Choice. Um, mm. They think they can't. And when we came back on the Monday morning, it was like boom, boom, boom. Decisions, decisions, decisions. That's clear. That's clear. That's clear. Beautiful. So, in all of your time now, and I'm sure many more years, spent talking with all of these people, these types of people, what has that experience taught you or what have they taught you? What would you say your top lessons are in life from, from doing this? 
I just love humans. <laughs> I just think they're fascinating. Um, I, I, I think what it's taught me is that we're all, we're all extraordinary, actually. It doesn't matter what you do, who you are. It, and we all have the same stuff going on. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do. And when people allow themselves to drop into connection, and everyone can do that, it's magical. It, 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 it's so beautiful. And everyone, you know, the, 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 what, I, what I've really learned from you know, the leaders, there's three things that all of us are after, which is peace of mind, wanting to feel alive, purposeful, useful, and connection. And that's it. The reason we're doing everything is to get to one of those three things. Now, I thought before I started working with this group that there was something different, something, you know, like, who are these people? And they're the same as everyone else. And that I, lo I just love, and, I, and I've, I've, what I've seen and what I love about these people is, is that once they become okay in themselves and stop being in survival mode, because even even more so. I mean, some of the billionaires I've worked um, coached in the world are in survival mode. <laughs> and yet, once people actually come back to themselves, they automatically shift towards contribution and impact. And then what, I've, what is so inspiring about this group is that they go do it. And that that just, that's what has me want to serve this client group because their capacity mm. is, is incredible. And, and I always, I'm just blown away by how quickly, like once they get it, they act, they go do it. And it's, it, it, mm. it continually inspires me. And I still, and I, and I guess, you know, it's such a privilege the work that I do and I'm finally understanding that's how I get to have an impact. I always had this slight inferiority complex of like, well, I'm not one of those. Um, in fact, my dad said to me once, <laughs> there's leaders and followers in the world, Jen, and we're followers. And I was like, oh. <laughs> And what I've learned is actually, that's not true. Like we all have the capacity to lead and some people do it in that way and some people do it in my way and some people do it through parenting, whatever it is. Um, the capacity we have as human beings when we get back to our humanness is incredible. To turn us on a highway exit 
all of what we just talked about and all of this has been happening and you've been doing this work since you first decided you were going to learn how to mm -hmm. swim. First short question, yes or no, did you learn I how did. to swim? Sweet. Second question, what is the relationship with your children like now that you stepped away from being a martyr and have and you and your husband Babs have done so much growth yeah. and you do so many things now. What what is that like with two Amazing. kids? Best friends. You know, and sometimes they annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> but they are <laughs> it's just fun. Like we I guess the way we approach it is that we're a unit, we're a team. It's not parents, kids. It's I mean they're sixteen and fourteen now, right? We've just spent the last seven months, 24 hours a day together. We came over to Australia, our friends aren't here, our, it's us. Yes, we have occasionally with Babs's brother and family, but predominantly it's the four of us. And it's just, we've had so many experiences together. Um, you know, they're very independent there, who they are. You know, I took them to I don't know, three, four AFS. We did Barcelona together. We've traveled the world. We've lived in different countries. And so we're very much a unit. And I think, I think the way it works is that we have that mutual respect that I talked about in our relationship. It's not, like I said, parent-child. Because we're always asking that question, what would have us th all thrive? If one of us is out of thriving we're like huh what do we do and so you know they get included in all the decision making they um, we spend a lot of time together play together you know they they also go and do their own thing you know like it's like when Zach went to the ski academy he went and lived in Italy for the seasons would come back at the weekends because that was what was going to have him thrive. And, and so we're always trying to look at them individually, like what is best for them, but we'll also have us thrive as well. So it's, we don't really compromise. And as a result, the relationship between all of us, it's just fun. I think we just have fun because we don't, we're not like and that. To, to throw another reflection on that, it sounds like this is connecting to what we talked about before, where you've just extended what you and Babs do to include the children. Yeah. That each of the four of you focus on your own individual growth and you encourage, support, and challenge each other to do that occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, I think, I think we recognize the wisdom in them. And so that's a you know a lot part of my work is 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 really just mm -hmm. seeing the wisdom in people, and so we'll. Can you tell me a story about that with your kids? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Zach doesn't hear this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he probably yeah, will. Well, well, okay, I won't go into details, but um, you and I spoke about this, but. Yeah, last year he, you know, he's a teenager and he decided to push the boundaries, shall we say, in Bali and got himself into, um, 
yeah, a bit of trouble. And it could have been a lot of trouble. And so we were faced with this real kind of parenting, you know, our first sort of big, what felt like a really big turning point. It was like, oh my God, is this who he's going to be in his life? What have we done as parents? Like, how did you, I can't even believe he did that. Like all of this. And so we had a real choice. Do we go into parenting mode? As in, you know, take control? Or do we... Do we do what we usually do? And we went with the do what we usually do. And it was a real case of just sitting down, communicating, um, asking him like, so what do you think we should do? What, what do you think would be the most powerful thing we could do as parents right now that would support you through this, but also have you learn and grow from this. And because we included him in that conversation, he actually came up with, you know, what, what he thought was a good idea. Um, and, you know, he actually said to, said to us this, you know, he said, look, I, I get what I just done is completely, I don't even know why I did it, but whatever. He said, but you've got to trust me. I know this is going to be the biggest gift. And there was a choice there for us to trust that or not, and we've trusted it, and watched him transform over the past year. And I think, you know, and I, th I think that's such, if I had any advice, oh, I give an advice, but any experience when it comes to parenting is never underestimate the wisdom of your own child and really be present and listen to what's actually going on for them rather than jumping into all these made up scenarios in your head so and look i remember a while back he you know he's having i mean this was when he was much younger but he was having this real meltdown around going to a it just felt such like such an entitled meltdown. <laughs> it was sort of friends had invited him for to, to a, one of the villas in Bali, and he was new, and he was he's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go, and we were like, well, can you decide so we know what we're doing? Anyway, it exploded, and so I just went and sat with him, and he was just kind of in this. And I just mm. sat, and I just didn't really say anything. And then eventually, I guess I did what I do, which is <laughs> calm people down. And then I just said, so what's actually going on for you? And then he said, well, I feel so socially awkward. And he was young, like he was 13, 12. And he just said, I feel socially awkward and um, I don't know what to say and I'm around my friends and so from that point we could then work on that but it, I needed to hear his wisdom for us to actually get to truth or what he felt was truth it's not truth but what he felt was truth um, 
And as soon as he said that out loud, he realised kind of how untrue that was. He said, okay, can you go and drop me mm. off now? <laughs> so off he went and had a great afternoon, <laughs> you know, but it's... It's literally a session with a billionaire CEO, but just translated to a 12-year-old child. But we're all children. Like, we all go into our child mode. Um, so it's the same thing. So I think, you know, I think that that's how we do things, really. And some, look, it sounds like I'm some fucking amazing parent, really. I haven't got a clue. I'm literally working it out as I go along. And every stage is different, but what I would say, just that one piece of knowing that your children have this incredible wisdom within them and holding a space to trust that and, and getting them to learn to discern that and trust them that themselves, you know, it's never gonna be a smooth ride, particularly with Zach, he's a risk taker. You know that. He jumps off things and puts me in painful positions <laughs> where I have to watch him do stuff. But it's who he is and I've got to allow, you know, I can't curb that because of my fears. He's going to hurt himself. You've got to trust that he'll learn. So... It's, it's a journey, yeah. <laughs> to say the cliche. So... Hang on, Skip, I've just dropped a... Before we... Thingy. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, go for it, go for it. I'll just ask you the question sure. while, while you grab that. Um, before we wrap up, I have... I have, I have uh, two, uh, two questions. Two, one, two is, questions. Is one is a little more deep, a little more deep, and one is, is uh, not as much. Uh, not as much. So the, the first. Of so the the first of the two is, is there anything with like current state of affairs in mind? Uh, you know, we've talked about this, but I don't believe in advice either. But if you had some wisdom from conversations or come up inside you. Uh, in your coaching sessions or just from interacting with your, your family, is there any piece of wisdom that you uh, would like to share um, before we go about anything going on right now in the world? Because there's like seven different apocalypses. Yeah. I would say, I, I, look, th there's seven different, a couple of, like, how do I say, I don't want to say that word, apocalypse. Thank you. You have to read more X-Men comics. Uh, That's how you learn how to say that um, one. Look. Your experience of life comes from within you. Whatever you're experiencing in any moment is coming from, from you, through you. So it doesn't really matter what's going on in the world. Like, as long as you know that, we're only ever really experiencing thought in the moment, right? And that depends what lens we're wearing. So if we're wearing a lens of fear and lack and anger and judgment and whatever it is, that's what we're going to experience. Now, that might sound a bit I'm not suggesting what's going on in the world isn't important and everything else, but it, 
I'd, I'd kind of say stay in your lane. <laughs> and, and really, you know, my word this year is discernment. Like really discern what is your truth rather than what the media is saying and what's, what all the noises say. I mean, it's very easy at the moment because some of the practical parts of our life have closed down. And yet, you, I can walk up the street here and see a bird or hear a child laugh or whatever, and in that moment, feel incredible joy regardless of what's going on in the world. And so more than anything right now, I, th I think presence, connection, discernment, rather than mm. future thinking and past thinking. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people that are incredibly triggered at the moment is are those that, are, that are, you know, understandably have had a lot of trauma in their life as well. And it's bringing past into present. And so the work really is that grounding presence, allowing for those clouds to pass. Um, yes. You know, because our, our life is happening moment by moment by moment. That's it. There is nothing else. Everything else is kind of made up. So, to, you know, as to circle back to the beginning, what, what are you choosing? right now? Are you choosing to be a victim in what's going on in the world? Or do you choose to create your life, your moments? Thank you. And then final question, uh, when people hear this and fall in love with you, is there a place they can go to see more of you, learn more of your thoughts or read? Anything like that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not great at putting content in, out in the world. Um, look, you find me on Facebook. It could yeah, also be anything you recommend as well. Yeah. Look, I do, I, I do on, on Facebook <laughs> occasionally. Um, I'm also coaching. I'm also about to start a training where I'm coaching coaches to coach leaders those people that want to step into that space because I genuinely feel we are so needed right now and a lot of people are stuck in the lack of confidence to do that uh, so I'm talking quite a lot about that at the moment but yeah Facebook um, you know that if there is genuine resonance with what I'm saying I I love to connect with people I love to like just send me a message let's have a conversation Mm. like super happy to schedule time with people who, you know who are seriously there's something landing here for them um that's really wow. how generous I, thank you how i roll it's no obligation it's just relationship i'm i'm more of a kind of i'm less of a massive person and more of like quality relationships so yeah so beautiful either on Facebook or my email is jenny at jennyhk.com. Jenny with an IE. Beautiful. So, yeah. Yep. And I'll put that down in the show notes as well. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for oh, coming thank on. You for having it's me. always a, a 
blessing to get to talk to you. And, uh, you know, I got so much out of this conversation. So I'm really excited for other people to hear it. And uh, I definitely have a few in mind that are just going to love it. 